This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Gordon Lightfoot helped define the folk pop sound of the 60s and 70s, but he's not known for being an open book when it comes to talking about his personal life. Until now. Plus, this year's flu vaccine is now available, and we'll talk about why it's especially critical for Zoomers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Many Zoomers south of the border will be hit by President Trump's changes to Obamacare. He will scrap subsidies to health insurance companies that help pay out-of-pocket costs for low-income people. These plans were disclosed hours after the president ordered potentially sweeping changes, including sales of cheaper policies with fewer benefits and fewer protections for consumers. Scientists have been working on the question, why do more women get Alzheimer's? Now Cornell University researchers have found a link between metabolic changes in the brains of menopausal and perimenopausal women and the onset of Alzheimer's disease due to loss of estrogen and glucose in the brain. Women represent 72% of Canadians living with Alzheimer's. A University of New Brunswick study finds the closer you live to green spaces, the more your health will benefit. Those who live the closest to trees and vegetation have an 8 to 12% reduced risk of dying compared to those who don't. 87-year-old actress Tippi Hedren is speaking out about disgraced Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein, recounting how she was sexually assaulted, harassed, and threatened by director Alfred Hitchcock while making The Birds and Marnie in the early 60s. On dealing with Weinstein, Tippi says, quote, My conversation with him would have been very short, and it would have been, No thank you, and I'm out of here. And that would have been it. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. For many of us, the songs of Gordon Lightfoot are a soundtrack to our own lives. But the 78-year-old Zoomer icon has been notoriously reticent when it comes to revealing himself. It took years for author Nicholas Jennings to win the legendary troubadour's trust, and now he's out with the first biography entitled simply Lightfoot. The way I feel is like a robin Whose babes have flown to come no more I opened the book with this great scene of Gordon Lightfoot playing at Maple Leaf Gardens on Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder review show and then inviting the whole cast of some 70 people back to his mansion in Rosedale for this after party. And Lightfoot and Dylan slipped away from this wild and crazy party 
and went upstairs and spent a couple of hours just trading songs on guitars. And I thought it was such a great image of these two guys who were really at the top of their craft. But they, rather than partying, they just wanted to exchange songs. Is that how you see Lightfoot as uh, more of a serious craftsman than a, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll guy? Oh, very much so. I mean, it, he, he certainly had his flirtations, I suppose you might say, more than flirtations. He jumped fully, fully into the, the world of certainly uh, alcohol, if not drugs. And uh, through the 70s, really through the biggest years of his career commercially, when he was at the top of the billboard charts and playing the biggest stages in North America and, and around the world, he was also drinking very, very heavily. And by his own account, he was an alcoholic and didn't actually quit drinking until 1982. So he succumbed to those temptations, and, and I get into that in the book about just what the toll of the drinking and the, and the affair is, because he was very much a sought-after star. By, he, was, he, he attracted a lot of female attention in, in the 70s. So, I, I mean, from probably 71, if you could read my mind, top the charts, through sundown, through the record of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Those were all his biggest years, right up until the end of the 70s. In the 80s, he certainly had a very successful career as well, but that's when, when the drinking was and the reckless living, if you like, was most prominent. And how many times was he married? He's had three wives, and he's had uh, six children by four different women. And he's close with his children? He's remained very close, and, and, and his grandchildren now. And, you know, he's really tried to make up for his absent years when, you know, touring just kept him away from family. And now he's, he's sort of the devoted Papa Lightfoot. For many people, the quintessential Lightfoot song is The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And there's very interesting story about the relationship he had with the people who were actually involved. He wrote this song about this shipwreck. And it became a massive hit for him. But he wasn't interested in capitalizing on this tragedy. He actually felt, because he, he used to sail a lot himself. He owned a sailboat. He would sail the Great Lakes, Georgian Bay. And so he told me that when he heard on the news of this, this iron ore tanker, you know, going down in this terrible storm on Lake Superior, he could relate to it so closely because of his own experiences you know, on the water and in storms with his sailing. So he, he took on that story as almost like a responsibility. He researched it very, very thoroughly, and he came to feel uh, a compassion for the families of those men who were lost at sea. And he, they have stayed in touch with him, and he in touch with them. And, you know, he's made a point of sort of honoring the memory of those seamen. What was that about changing some of the lyrics because of new information? This is just in the last number of years. Uh, he saw a, a TV documentary that was done by a couple of filmmakers who looked into the whole story of what actually happened with the Edmund Fitzgerald and found out that it was a rogue wave that was responsible for it going down, not the fact that there were hatches on the ship that hadn't been properly secured. So. There was a line in the recorded song that everyone knows, uh, you know, the hatchways gave in. Well, when Gordon Lightfoot saw that documentary, he realized, well, hang on a second. It wasn't a couple of the sailors who were responsible for not fastening the hatchway. It was actually a rogue wave. So he decided, well, I can't do anything about the song that's already been recorded, but from now on, whenever I perform it, I'm not going to sing a line about a hatchway giving in. And, you know, that really speaks to his character, that he would care enough about the memory 
of those sailors and their families that he would change the lyric and not sing, you know, that anything that might accrue blame to these, you know, to the men on that ship. When supper time came, the old cook came on deck saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you. At 7 p.m., a main hatchway gave in. He said, fellas, it's been good to know you. What does he see as his top three? He has, he has what he calls standards, Libby, songs that he knows that have kind of transcended him and have, have become almost like timeless songs that everyone knows. And he performs these at every concert. He really gives his uh, audiences what they want. So those songs would include The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. They would include If You Could Read My Mind. And I think he also cherishes one of his love songs, um, Beautiful. Nicholas Jennings, thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. Bye-bye. All the best. Well, I must say it means so much to me to be the one who's telling you I'm telling you that you're beautiful. That was biographer Nicholas Jennings talking about his new biography, Lightfoot. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, why you should get your flu shot. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We're heading into flu season, and this year's vaccine is ready. But despite the fact that it's free and conveniently available, the take-up is a lot lower than authorities hope for in order to prevent illness, disability, and death. I talked with Dr. Bryna Warshawski, Medical Director at Public Health Ontario. We do know that um, in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, particularly in Australia, they've had quite a significant flu season, but that doesn't necessarily predict what we'll see here. Um, We know that flu is notoriously unpredictable. We do know that last year was a strain that we call H3N2, and when that strain circulates, it tends to affect uh, seniors somewhat more. It causes more outbreaks in long-term care facilities, more hospitalizations, and more deaths. And we also have noticed that there's a pattern between H3N2 H3N2 circulating in one year and another strain called H1N1 circulating in another year. And that strain tends to affect younger people more. So if that pattern follows, then this year we would be expecting H1N1. What was circulating in Australia? That was H3N2. So that was the same strain that we saw last year. So it could be that they're seeing what we saw last year um, heading into the Southern Hemisphere for their flu season. And then this year, we may see something completely different. And different parts of the world are seeing different strains. So it's really hard to know what will come up here, partly because we had H3N2 last year. And it it's in our vaccine, we may have some level of immunity, which means that we may not see as much of it this year. So again, it's really hard to predict. So we, we tend to be alternating between fairly bad years where we have H3N2 and more mild years where we have H1N1. It is possible that we could have two fairly bad H3N2 years in a row. We don't know. I think the message is because you don't know, it's really important every year to get vaccinated, to be vaccinated as many people as possible to get the vaccine. A lot of people kind of confuse the flu with what can be just an ordinary cold when it's really something much more serious. 
for the individual who has symptoms, they can be fairly similar, like a flu is the sudden onset of fever, headache, cough, sore muscles, sore throat. You really feel like you have to go to bed. Now, sometimes a bad cold can do that to you too, so it is hard to know at an individual level. So a couple of differences is that flu tends to spread sort of throughout the community. Like in any given season, about 5% of the population will get flu. And the other noticeable difference is that flu can cause complications. So particularly in people who are older or um, young children or people with other medical conditions, flu can result in pneumonia, it can result in hospitalizations, and it can result in deaths sometimes, unfortunately. The groups of people you just enumerated are the people at higher risk. And I gather that public health authorities want to get those people vaccinated first, correct? That's right. So we want to get vaccinated the high-risk people, the people at risk for complications. And we mentioned seniors, people over 65, um, young children less than five, people with other medical conditions, heart disease, lung disease, cancer, diabetes. Also pregnant women are at increased risk as well. Now, I gather that public health has a target of 80% of people in those high-risk groups. But where are we at with that? Well, we know that in general, the average vaccination rate of people is around 30%. And in senior populations, it's, it's higher, and it's also higher with people who have underlying medical conditions. But we'd like to see that raised in, in everybody, certainly people with underlying medical conditions, people who are over 65, young children, pregnant women, we'd like to see that way higher. Given that it's free and readily available, why is it such a struggle to get people to take it? I think there's a number of reasons. One is that, you know, you have to do it every year, and it's unique in that way. Um, People have sort of a misperception that the flu is just a cold, but we know that flu can be much more serious, especially for people who, um, as we mentioned, are at risk for complications. What are the number of deaths that result from flu? So the estimates in Canada are on average about 3,500 deaths a year in Canada. There are many people who die of complications that we don't necessarily appreciate, like someone will have flu and then a few days later or a few weeks later have a heart attack or they may develop pneumonia a while after their flu and not realize that it was actually flu that led to that complication. People don't realize that it can also result, say, in older people in a loss of independence, a loss of mobility. You get the flu, you're bedridden, and then, um, you know, your quality of life goes way down. Yeah, that's right. People who are functioning, you know, at a fairly independent level and and able to take care of themselves and do their shopping, something like a flu that could result in a hospitalization. So it could be the tipping point between being able to cope fairly well in the community to requiring more care and becoming more dependent on others for that type of daily care. I still hear from people who say bad things about vaccines, vaccines make you sick, or you had a terrible reaction, or they're dangerous. I mean, people still believe this. Unfortunately, some people do, but I think there's, you know, there's lots of information out there on the safety and effectiveness of the flu vaccine. Now, the flu vaccine isn't um, perfect in terms of its um, effectiveness. We know it's about 50% effective, so it reduces your chance of getting influenza by about half, which is still um, very good. And in terms of safety, yes, you can get a sore arm, um, maybe feel a bit feverish or whatever for a day or two, but a very safe vaccine, well used, um, and really something we strongly encourage because when you look at the risks of the flu vaccine, which are very small, and the benefits of being vaccinated, which are fairly substantial, um, it weighs out definitely in favor of getting your flu vaccine each year. Great. Dr. Bryna Warshawski, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Dr. Bryna Warshawski. Bottom line, get your flu shot. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. 
Coming up, we celebrate a man whose music career has spanned seven decades. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. A new exhibit at the New York Historical Society focuses on one of the major turning points of the 20th century. And it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. The next stop is Vietnam. The Vietnam War exhibition brings the history of the struggle into context through more than 300 artifacts, photographs, artworks, documents, and interactive digital media. In Hamburg, Germany, the Busirius Kunst Forum presents the first large-scale exhibition devoted to the birth of the art market in the golden age of the Netherlands, tracing the careers of artists such as Rembrandt and many others. In Paris, a museum dedicated to one of the most iconic fashion designers of the 20th century is now open. Model and muse Betty Catru says Yves Saint Laurent turned the fashion standards of his generation upside down. And in Venice, there is more sparkle than normal from an exhibition of more than 270 gems and jewels at the Palazzo Ducali. The jewelry spans five centuries and includes items from the descendants of Genghis Khan and the great Indian Maharajas. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, one of the greatest musical icons of the Zoomer generation celebrated his 76th birthday, Paul Simon. When he was just 11 years old, he found himself in a school class with another young musician, Art Garfunkel. The two quickly became friends and spent their teenage years writing and performing songs, honing the craft they would later be famous for. In 1964, they had an audition with Clive Davis at Columbia Records. He was impressed with the duo and signed them under the name Simon and Garfunkel. Their debut album was titled Wednesday Morning, 3 a.m., and at first it did not garner much attention. But over time, one of the songs on the album became a small hit for the duo. That song was The Sounds of Silence. They recorded a new version of the song for their second album titled Sounds of Silence, which was far more successful. From that point on, their music career was established, and the duo released multiple albums with iconic songs like Homeward Bound, Cecilia, and Scarborough Fair. One of their biggest hit songs was written for the 1967 film The Graduate. The lyrics revolve around the plot of the movie, where the young Benjamin Braddock, played by Dustin Hoffman, is seduced by the much older Mrs. Robinson. That was Simon and Garfunkel with Mrs. Robinson. This week, Paul Simon celebrated his 76th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.